You know, some of you know what it's like to feel hopeless, like you're experiencing something that you've gone through for years and years and years with little help. And even when you've sought help, the help even has hurt or maybe just complete desperation that you'll do anything uh, because of, a, of a, an emergency or some type of massive chronic uh, uh, acute issue that's hitting you. That's what we experience and we see here in Mark chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 43 this week. Jesus encounters two women, an older woman and a young girl, uh, one experiencing a chronic issue that lasts for 12 years and the other in an acute emergency. And how does Jesus deal with those? And I'm going to key off of what Jesus says in Mark 5 verse 36. He tells them, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And so the basic outline, do not fear, only believe. Why? Because, and I've got two things. Number one, Jesus is unlimited by anything. You know, in the medical world, in the emergency world, there's, there's this idea called triage. And triage is where it's a system that's used by nurses as, as uh, victims in war or people with emergencies come into the emergency room to sort people and to put people in the order of service. Who should we send to the doctors first? Who's going to get the medicine first? Who's going to get the machinery or other things that are needed first? Triage seeks to maximize the number of survivors. Because in, especially like in a high emergency type situation, like a, a war, uh, war uh, emergency room kind of thing, you have some people that are so unfortunately injured so badly that any amount of care is not going to help them. So you might alleviate some of their pain, but then there's others that they need help right away. And if they receive the help right away, their prospects of getting better are much, much higher. So triage is a way of sorting people. And the reason that it has to be sorted is because there's limited resources. You know, there are, there's a limited number of doctors and nurses. There's a limited number of medicines and prescriptions. There's a limited number of x-ray machines and CAT scan machines and all uh, bed space, emergency rooms, uh, all those things. They're limited. Also, there's a limited amount of time. There's a limited amount of knowledge. There's a limited amount of ability. All those things are require emergency rooms, emergency situations to triage the patients so that we can maximize the number of, of, of survivors. And what we see in this story is that there is no concept of triage for Jesus. He is not limited. I mean, if, if, if you have a woman that's had a chronic issue that's gone on for 12 years, she's gone to doctor after doctor, and even some of the doctors have made things worse, and she's suffered and suffered and suffered. What is it like to be in a situation like her? You know, she's probably not married. She's probably, you know, spent every last pen penny. She's, she's had people that care about her or that come to her and say, hey, I know of this doctor, I know of this person, and she's chased down thing after thing after thing and has not gotten any help to solve this ongoing problem with her. And then you also have a little girl, the prime of her life. She's just getting started with her life. 
leaving, about to leave childhood and getting close to becoming an adult. So much promise, so much future. And then something has happened that's caused her to be at her deathbed. She's about to die. So in a normal triage situation, you've got a woman who's had the same problem for 12 years. She comes into your emergency room. And then you also have a young girl who's about to die, comes into your emergency room. The natural and easy triage is to ask the woman with the bleeding, you're gonna have to go ahead and wait while we focus our resources on this little girl who's about to die. You've been able to last 12 years, you probably can last another hour or so. And, but with Jesus, that doesn't matter. There, there is no limit for his power. There is no limit for his time. There's no limit on his ability. And even as we see in the text that this little girl, she actually dies even. And yet Jesus can raise her from the dead. What, what other doctors have, have failed at repeatedly with the woman, Jesus is able to solve. And even a girl who's on her deathbed and even does die, Jesus is able to heal. So number one, do not fear, only believe, because Jesus is not limited by anything. And then secondly, Jesus loves you more than you can fathom. Do not fear, only believe, because Jesus loves you more than you can fathom. And just look at the text and all the different ways that we see Jesus's expression of his love. In, in verse 34, after he uh, deals with this woman who, who you know, he, he feels the power come out of him and he turns around to the crowd and says, who touched me? And people are indignant and asking him, well, you know, there's people touching you all over the place. This woman knows exactly what happened. She knows that she's the one that's being asked about, and she comes in fear and trembling. And he says to her gently, he says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. He's identifying with her and the pain that she's been experiencing, the trauma that she's been experiencing, her feelings of hopelessness for year after year after year. He approaches her as daughter, you are healed. And then we see it also with the little girl. You know, first of all, there's just several things that Jesus does to help protect her. Um, I think that we, we see that first of all, he, he, uh, he gets approached by these people who said, you know, there's no reason for him to come anymore because she has already passed away. And he says, um, no, she is on, only sleeping. And then he, he reduces the number of people that are with him. And he only allows a, a handful of his disciples to come into the room and also just the little girl's parents to come into the room. And then he takes her by the hand and he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And he says it in a tender and gentle, loving, like a parent talking to his little daughter. And then he tells them to not tell anyone uh, what, what has happened here uh, and then give her something to eat. And I think all of those steps of reducing the number of people who are the witnesses are all about his love and care for this little girl as a child. The last thing a 12-year-old girl needs is to become some type of uh, you know, circus freak show where people have to come into town and knock on your door and see the little girl that was dead that's now alive. Jesus is protecting her in all those little acts. 
as acts of love. And then, of course, his compassionate, loving way that he addresses her as uh, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. But I think more than those little ways that he's addressing, that's showing his love, also is the fact that both of these two people, the woman and the girl, are people that, according to the law, Jesus is not allowed to touch. In the Old Testament law, it makes it very explicitly clear that, that people that are bleeding, like what this woman's described as, you're not allowed to touch them. They're considered ceremonially unclean. And so that part might have been part of the reason why this woman is secretly trying to touch Jesus. She's trying to get away with something that she knows, according to the law, she's not allowed to do, but hoping against hope that she can be healed. And yet, Jesus isn't the one that becomes unclean. She's the one that becomes clean because she touched Jesus. And then also the Old Testament law makes it very clear that you become unclean when you touch and handle a dead body. Jesus doesn't just come into a room or, or maybe just sort of lean in through the window of the house. He takes her by the hand and he takes her uncleanness onto himself and the result is that she becomes alive. And this reminds me of the, just the great passage of Isaiah 6 when Isaiah is in the throne room and he's experiencing all the glory of God. And what is his response? He says, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. And he says, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We are sinners. And then God has one of the, um, the, the angelic beings grab one of the burning coals out of the altar and touch that burning coal to Isaiah's lips and declares that your sins have been atoned for. When God touches you, you become clean. God doesn't... He is above and beyond these rules that He has created. And it's only through Him that we become righteous, that we become atoned for. And let's not forget the main reason that Jesus came. He didn't come just to provide these healings to these people with needs. And He hasn't come into our lives just to bring healing to our lives, although He promises us to that for that into the future. He has come, according to Mark 1, 14, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. His message consistently as we've gone through Mark is to believe in the gospel, to repent. He hasn't just come to heal our physical needs. He has come to heal the ultimate cause of our physical needs and the ultimate healing that we need, which is our heart to be changed and to be forgiven through the gospel. Remember what Jesus said to all the people. Remember when the, the paralytic was lowered down and they were hoping that he would heal this man so he could walk. But what did Jesus say? He said, your sins are forgiven. That was the first thing he said to him. And then he said, so that you all will know that I have the power to forgive sins. Get up, take up your mat and walk. Jesus is proving through the power of his physical healing that he's got the ultimate he power 
to forgive. So brothers and sisters, this just makes me think about how do I desperately pursue Jesus for the healing for my sin? Is that the sickness that I want him to heal more than anything? Am I pursuing him and desiring to be with him, to receive his touch of healing on my life? And, and, and guys, I think it just is so phenomenal just to think about the fact that Jesus would touch the unclean and make them clean. What happens to Jesus in that process? Is he taking on the uncleanness of the world through his ministry so that when he goes to the cross, all of that is paid for? Brothers and sisters, we have complete and total hope of our forgiveness today so that we can be healed today of the thing that ails us more than anything, our sin. And we look forward in hope to the day when He will heal all the other brokenness and He will finally destroy the final great enemy in death itself. That is our hope. So brothers and sisters, do not fear, only believe.